beautiful when we see the Spirit moving among us. <coughs> asking me if I'm ready to preach is like asking a NASCAR driver if they're ready to race. Right. Okay. We'd, we'd like us all to turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be reading the, the, the letter to Thyatira. It begins in verse 18, and it goes, I believe, through uh, 29 here, through the end of the chapter. So as you find that, please stand for reading God's word. I will, I will pray as you're doing that. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your spirit, Lord God, that moves among us and convicts us when, when we need to be singing praise and we need to be standing up and declaring your amazing grace. We need to do it here, but we need to go wherever we are, Lord. For worship is not just in song, Lord. It is everything we do in our lives. Will we bring you honor in our worship when we leave here or will we bring you disgrace? This church we are about, about to discuss, Lord, had a mixed bag. There was many that were bringing you honor. Many more bringing you disgrace. May that never be named among us. May we be a church filled with people who always bring you glory, God. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and servants, and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will... Know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. <coughs> the letter we read here is very, very powerful today. I want you to imagine what it would look like to look into someone's eyes that is described as the flames of fire. You know, we don't often think about that. You know, many times in my life, I've seen evil in people's eyes. And I remember watching a, a video that I think the, the evilest person I've ever looked upon in that video was Adolf Hitler. That man's eyes, you could see pure hatred, unadulterated hatred. And I want you to think about the most pure being ever, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Is looking at this church and our church and every church and every believer with eyes like fire. <coughs> you think about that and understand what that means. What, what does that mean? What does that mean is that he, he is one who is searching the heart. He is looking with a laser focus into our heart. He knows what we believe. He knows what we're willing to compromise on. 
He knows if we're going to stand for him or if we are just paying him lip service. He knows when we sing our songs if it's coming from the heart or if we're just going through the motions. Christ knows absolutely everything. It says he is peering with those fiery eyes into his church. I want you to understand that the image we get of, of Jesus Christ, he is a king. If you would go to back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, you would, you would see that, that David is promised to have a descendant who would be the son of God. And, and David is overwhelmed and he praises God for this. And later David writes about this in, in Psalm 2. It says, the, the people of the, the earth that plot together against God and his anointed. What does the Holy One do in heaven? What does the Son of God do in heaven when the people plot together? When the people plot of how they're going to take down the church, you know what God does? He laughs. He absolutely laughs. And he says, be careful that you do not anger the Son of God. He becomes enraged quickly, and he will not spare his wrath on those who mock him. Jesus is using that same imagery that was given to King David, and he's declaring, I am the Son of God. Understand, the Son of God had a reference to God the Father, and it's a promise to King David that his descendant would be God himself, would be the Messiah. And this is what Jesus is reminding the church here, that he is God in the flesh. He is the one who is going to come again and reign on David's throne. He is not going to be putting up with any Jezebels. If you want to name this sermon anything, it's Jesus versus Jezebel. Now, this is not just some random woman in the church named Jezebel. Just like last week we looked over, I told you these three churches uh, are a progression. The church we looked at last week in Pergamum, we had some fun with some swords, so he needs to make sure Brother Darren doesn't have any more swords. I know he's got at least one more. But what happened last week is the, the double-edged sword that proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus is a warning. It's a declaration of judgment unless you repent. So what, what do we read here? We read about a woman who has been warned but she has refused to repent. Christ has given her grace and has allowed her time to repent. And he is staring at her and at the church with those eyes of fire, looking at, seeing if she is going to repent. But Jesus knows she's not going to repent. And she calls this church and warns them that they have allowed Jezebel in. Who is Jezebel? She was a hooker. She's much worse than a hooker. That's being nice. Yes, that's being nice. She is, to summarize it, she is the worst woman in the entire Bible. And that is what Jesus is associating with this church. <coughs> Understand, Jezebel was a woman who, who married King Ahab. King Ahab was the king of Israel. Jezebel was a foreigner who came in and brought her foreign gods <coughs> and taught the people to pray to these foreign gods. She was a daughter of, the, uh, of a priest who worshipped Baal. And so they brought in that idolatry and they brought in that sexual immorality into Israel. And it was one of the worst periods in Israel's history because the people fell away. They fell after to the teachings of Jezebel, the teachings of this God Baal. They started worshiping idols instead of the true God. So what do you think is happening in this church that, that Jesus would, 
hearken back to the Old Testament and compare a woman they've allowed in to, to be Jezebel. That they are, they're giving in to idolatry. They're giving in to sexual immorality. They're eating food sacrificed to idols. They are making themselves more than unclean. And God has told them to repent, but they have not repented. And he is warning that he, he is coming very soon to bring swift judgment to them. But what, it, what is, I think, wonderful here, um, depend, depending if you've ever fallen after that kind of Jezebel spirit, is that Jezebel herself ends up being their, their own judgment. We look across this line, and there are many churches, many churches offering you different ways to do church. There's not different ways to do church. There is one way to do church. There's not church buildings. There's not church denominations. You're either part of the bride of Christ or you're not. We don't get a Southern Baptist section in heaven. It's not the way it works. There's no Methodist section. No Episcopalian section. There is only the bride of Christ. And notice here that he says that, they, that she has deceived his servants. Jesus Christ is saying, I know you belong to me, but you have fallen away after these people. Jesus longs for true and right worship. He will not allow you to worship anyone else but him. It's either him alone or you get none of him. You can't be have your foot in both worlds. We, we must understand the absolute anger that Jesus has at, at this kind of spirit. The reality is it says that this woman has entered into the church and she has taken authority and she has declared herself a prophetess. Understand what's going on here. This woman is coming in and teaching new doctrines. It even, even goes on to say what we would call Gnosticism today. The deep things of Satan were being taught in the church. How horrifying is that? Now the church should have immediately identified her and rebuked her and cast her out. And it, and it appears that, that the church may have started the Matthew 18 process of of, of calling her to repent because we see that some they, they have this burden that, they, that has been laid upon them and Christ just tells them to endure but it seems more and most of the church has gone after her and is following her and has made her their pastor and they're following all the different practices that, that were forbidden <coughs> so King Jesus appears before, the, before them in this letter he tells them to repent. Now, repent is, does not just mean to, to have a general feeling about being sorry. It means to turn away from, to despise the former ways. You know, what are we doing when, when we refuse to repent? We, we are saying, Jesus, you're nice, but I'd rather follow my own ways. I am more important than you. This woman Jezebel, she is more important to us than your teachings. Your death on a cross, that was nice, but her way is more fun. Sexual immorality can be fun for a season. That's what Scripture says. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But ultimately, sin will, will bring about the wrath of God. And if you're denying the only way of salvation, that is Jesus Christ's death on a cross, comes to you by faith in His Son. 
That is how you receive the pardon. That is how you receive amazing grace as we have spoken of. Now this church was not a, a church we look at and we go in and like, this church is so horrible. They don't do anything Christ-like. They don't do anything a Christian church be doing. They're told they have love, they have faith, they have service, and they have patient endurance. Those sound some pretty good things. I hope those would be named of our church. I know they would be. But those things aren't enough. Because when Jesus looks at them and says, you're, you're just, you're doing works. You're not actually putting your faith in me. How easily were you fallen away after this woman? Do, are we ever like that? Do we ever get to a point where we, we fall away after false doctrines? Political correctness. To be honest, some of us have more allegiance to our political party than our Lord. When we try to view Christianity through our lens of our political parties, that's not the way it works. Your allegiance is to be to be to Christ and His kingdom. You are a, a temporary member here on earth. We are not of this world. But we, we sure act like it, don't we? We're kicking and screaming who's gonna be the president. When you know what the Word of God says, He establishes the leaders. You can kick and scream and not like who's president. I know many of us didn't like the last president. None of us liked it. Many of us like this one. There's many of us that's vice versa. God set them both up as president of the United States. That's what the Word of God declares. If you don't like that, you don't like God's judgment. That's a dangerous place to be when you don't like God's judgment. God is just. I'd like to tell you a story about a just man, a just judge. The year was 1780. Long, long time ago. There was a man by the name of Major John Andre. He was a good man, a godly man by all accounts. He served his country well. His problem? He was a spy. And he was caught by the, at that time, the revolutionary military of the United of what would be the United States. And he got to know some of the soldiers, and some of them cared very deeply for him. And they, they pleaded that their general would not put him to death. They say, this is a good man who, who is doing what was right in the eyes of his country. He was following orders. Very similar to the, the many in that church that would have been following orders of Jezebel. Do you know who that general was? First President of the United States, George Washington. You know who the man who pleaded for Mr. Andre was? Alexander Hamilton. He pleaded with George Washington not to let him be killed, that he was an honorable man. But this is the reality. If Washington would have caved, the United States would never be a nation. Major John Andre was in cahoots with Benedict Arnold. John Andre was, was put in charge of, uh, of doing the strategic battle plans. And he purposely had, had laid out the plans knowing what Arnold would do so that they would lose that battle. And if they would have lost that battle, they would have lost the war. So Washington said, he may be a good man, he may be an honorable man, but he is a spy and he will die the death of a spy. Hamilton went on and said, sir, please reconsider. Allow him to die as a soldier and be shot. 
not hanged. We spy is to be hanged. Washington said, tomorrow morning we hang him as a spy of our enemy. Understand, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to stand and say, I'm a good person. I lived a good life. I didn't kill nobody. I never got a speeding ticket. That's not going to impress Jesus at all. I share with the Sunday school class, I could stand up here and preach from this pulpit for 40 years. You think that's going to impress Jesus? What impresses Jesus? Faith. Placing your faith in Him. Following Him as the disciples did. A lot of times we get this mixed idea of what discipleship is. We think one day we could come down and bend the knee on the altar, and then we got a magic plane ticket to heaven. That's that's honestly what a lot of American Christians believe. That they could just, just kneel before the altar, go back to their way of life, attend church occasionally, and everything's going to be good and grand. Christ says, follow me. He says, if you are not willing to take up your cross and die for me, you are not worthy of me. Jesus commands this church to keep the works. What does he mean by that? He means to keep all my commands. We've gone over before. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I have commanded. One of the things that Jesus has commanded is for us as a church, when we see false teachers come in and starting leading people away, that we call them out, we rebuke them, and we go through the channels of church discipline. This church did not do that. And this church is in grave danger about to be judged by God and themselves. They refuse to repent. Christ judges rightly. He judges with justice. Many of us will, will stand before Christ and we'll see many people around us as he, he separates the sheep from the goats. And you're going to look like at a lot of those sheep and like, I never thought you'd be here. And some of the goats are going to be standing next to you saying, I can't believe you're here. This is the reality. Jesus will say one of th two things to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Blessed are you that hear those words. Or he will say, get away from me. I never knew you. See, head knowledge is not enough. You can know the Bible. I know many of you probably know the Bible better than I do. But this is the reality. Head knowledge will not save you. I know many people with great head knowledge of all kinds of books, including this one, but they aren't saved because they don't believe. We put our trust too much in, in our own selves, or our ability to understand, our ability to work hard. We, we oftentimes, if I, I just keep trying harder and harder, the reality that this church faced, I'll share an analogy I used in, in Sunday school this morning, the, the command to repent is like you've missed a few mortgage payments and the bank has given you a, a letter letting you know that if you miss one more payment, they're going to foreclose on you. And so what do you do? You start making your payments on time. About four or five months down the line, you get behind again. You're like, well, you know, I've, I've made some payments. They'll give me, they'll give, give me a, another chance and you don't make your payment. What happens? The bank shows up with the sheriff and you don't have a house no more. There are many of you who, who mock Jesus Christ's call to repentance. He said, I, I said the prayer when I was younger, and I've gone on my life, and you've gone on and sinned and sinned and sinned, and have never repented, have never turned away from that evil lifestyle, from the deeper things of Satan. Satan is the one who calls you to sin. He desires to, to bring shame to Christ. 
especially to those who claim to be Christians. Why? Because you defame the name of Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible calls defaming the name of Jesus Christ? Blasphemy. It's the same thing that when we go back to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments about blasphemy say, those who blaspheme the name of the Lord will not be held guiltless. You will have no excuse for blaspheming the Lord. None whatsoever. You won't be able to say, I didn't know, I didn't realize. You will not be able to make any, any such claims. It's also the same thing that got Christ crucified. The accusation against Christ that put him to death was blasphemy. They felt he blasphemed the Father. The irony is that they were accusing the Son of God of blaspheming his own Father. But he willingly went to that cross for you and I. He willingly embraced the full wrath of God. Do we even understand what that means? Could, could you imagine if every sin you have ever committed, not just your physical sins, but your sins of your mind and your heart, when somebody cuts you off in traffic and immediately you want to start cursing at them, that is very simple. We all are guilty of sin. The question is whether or not we're going to repent of it or whether we're just going to pay lip service. There's many people in this world who just want to pay lip service because there's no, there's no cost to that. At this church, we're never going to present the, the grace of God as cheap. This is not something you could you come and, and partake in and then just go about the rest of your life and, and live a, as a sinner that's unrepentant. Christ, like I said, he examines. His eyes are like flames of fire, burning, looking intently into the, our souls. Saying, is that one really following me? Do they really love me? Or are they swept away with every wind of doctrine that comes along? There are many that, that will fall away and be caught up in these other winds of doctrine. These, these Jezebel spirits, they're not new. They're, they're in the church today. I'll share with you, there's a very prominent Baptist church in, uh, in Washington, D.C., I think it was three weeks ago, they, they called their, their pastor and her wife to be the pastors of the church. They need to repent. If that church is still open by the end of the year, I'd be surprised. The Spirit of God will quickly be removed from there. But I want to remind you all that when we battle these type of things, and there'll be times where we battle, it may not be here in this church, I will not let a Jezebel in this church as long as I am here. But it may be in your homes, or on your street, or in your kids' schools. And you need to stand up. And you need to, you need to declare what God has declared. You need not be afraid of declaring the truth. Yes, the truth is going to hurt sometimes. I saw it this week with my own family. Somebody declared the truth of Jesus Christ, and the other person didn't want anything to do with it. And it hurts us that they're declaring it because we love them and we care for them deeply. But the reality is, it's not my job to save you. It's not your job to save your family. God is the one who saves. Praise God for that, because if it was up to us, there would be a lot less people saved, because we fail a lot. But he gives a promise to those that overcome. That you'd be rulers over the nations. Understand what Jesus is saying here. Over and over in this letter, he portrays himself as the king 
that has been promised to David who is coming. That's why I, I rejoice because the scriptures declare that the one who will come, that is to come as the Messiah for King David, is the one who will reign forever. He is the Messiah. It says he will return in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and establish his throne from King David's throne. And David's throne is not in Aurora. It's in Jerusalem. And when he descends, he will be king forever. He's going to reign for a thousand years before the new heaven and new earth. And guess what? He's going to bring others with him. He's not coming alone. He's going to bring others to rule over the nations with him. No more will we have nations led by ungodly rulers. Because Christ himself will appoint who will be the rulers. And they are the ones who overcome. You will be given authority. But the greatest thing that you will be given is the bright morning star. What does that mean? That you are going to be given a star? Not literally talking about a star in heaven. Who is the bright morning star? It is Jesus Christ. Could there ever be a greater reward for you in your entire life? You who overcome your reward is Jesus himself. Right? We often talk about it. We long to be in glory. And I know those of you that are here that have lost loved ones really long to be in glory with them. But you'll find very soon your, your longing to be with them will, will pass and your longing will be to with Jesus Christ. We talk about heaven and paradise and things of that nature. But the reality is, as human beings, as, as souls created by God, we don't really long for heaven. We long to be in the presence of God. The presence of Jesus Christ himself. To be able to kneel down and to truly worship. We come together on Sunday morning because we desire to worship God. To give Him the praise and glory and honor that is due to Him. But a day is coming where you will be able to do that yourself. Many of us may go home before Christ returns. And we will be able to do that in heaven. But there may be some here that will do that in Jerusalem. That will never die. Think about that. Christ is coming to reign forever. Forever. Now we can fall away and fall out after those spirits like Jezebel and follow their false teachings. And they may be pleasurable for a time. We have many different ways they tell us how to run church. They, they, they tell us we need to have more entertainment for the kids. We need to do things like that. Or we need to have more like rock concert type things. Things of the world. Or we, we, we need to be about more things of the social gospel as they call it. I'll tell you the truth, the social gospel is no gospel at all. We have many uh, services in this community that their design is to help people, and that is a good thing. But that is not the gospel. If I could tell you how to be a millionaire, would you take the advice? Probably. But that's not going to get you into heaven. You could have all the money in the world. You could get more money than Bill Gates and George Soros, and it's not going to impress God. Brother Darren is absolutely right. God doesn't need your money. And we need the money to, to pay comment and things like that. We are not a poor church. We are not a financially rich church. But we have Jesus Christ. Amen. All of you here can have that same thing that we have. Amen. You can have Jesus Christ. You don't need to worry about where your bills are going to come from. God doesn't promise to make you rich. And if you're watching one of those teachers on TV that tells you so, that's Jezebel right there. That's the temptation they always offer. That, that the, the world is about this life now. It's not about this life. It is about the life to come. 
But too many of us worry about this life. Where are things? Where are we going to get those things that we need? Where are we going to get the money to pay the bills? How, how, how are we going to raise our kids? Things that in time, if we're honest, the, the things we've built our lives upon, are they things that will last? Are they things for the kingdom? How many hours have we spent watching movies, reading books, doing things of entertainment? Those are fun, and I'm not saying those are bad things. But those things will not last. Those movies and those books, they'll be burned up. The houses and the cars, they, they will be no more. What will remain and what will last is your testimony for Jesus Christ. Do you have a testimony for Jesus Christ? This is how a testimony works. You come and you acknowledge that you are a sinner. And you receive Jesus Christ by faith. And then you start to bear the good fruits of the Spirit. And people who will be around you will notice that. My, my dear wife shared her faith with a family member this week. And the person shared with her that he doesn't like coming to our house because of how she has changed. He recognizes the change and he recognizes the Spirit. Amen. And he wants nothing to do with it. Mm. You understand why it breaks our hearts. But we also understand why we praise God. Because somebody recognizes the difference in the change. Can we say that about your life? Does somebody recognize the difference in the change? Or are you still the same, honorary, sinning, denying person you've always been? Because really, that, that's the reality that it comes down to. If we're going to overcome, we need Jesus Christ. But the problem is, many of us, we don't like to acknowledge we need Jesus Christ. We need to get up and go before God and say, Lord God, I am a sinner. I can't do it on my own. I've tried over and over again, and I've failed over and over and over again. I've even failed for the thing I haven't tried yet. Many of us tried, but never doing. Over and over we fail. But you don't have to fail. You can trust Jesus Christ this day. He will do amazing things with your life. You're not too young. You're not too old. You know, we, we often look at ourselves and I can't change the way this world's going. We, we were going through Revelation. We know what the book of Revelation says, most of us. The rest of us will know very soon. Things are going to get really bad. Here's the kicker. You can't do anything about it. There are many who want to try. They want to stop the Antichrist from coming. You know what happens when the Antichrist comes? Jesus comes and deals with him swiftly. And he is no more, and Christ is on this earth with us. To that, I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But we're, we get afraid. This book is a book of joy. It's a book of hope. It's also a book that is, is declaring what, what has been, what will be, and what is to come. And it lays bare the church. None of the churches come out looking very good, do they? Who looks really good in these letters? Jesus Christ. You and I, we're going to have times where we don't get along, or things get messy and we don't like it, or where we disagree. That's okay. We don't have to get along all the time. We have to love each other. And when those, those things go wrong, we have to examine, is, is this something from God, or are we allowing the enemy to come in and deceive us and, and to tear us apart? The church needs to always repent. This is not something new for Thyatira. 
They need to repent. We need to repent. The church should always be in a state of repentance. This year, in October, on Halloween, it will mark 500 years since what we call the Reformation. When Martin Luther and a few other gentlemen stood up and said, the church needs to repent. We are no longer teaching the true gospel. The church, known as the Roman Catholic Church, has refused to repent to this day and declares Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, they declare them all heretics. If they're heretics, then I want to be a heretic for Jesus Christ. We need that. We need to to be in a state of repentance. We we sin week by week, day by day. As a church, when we do things wrong, we need to repent. I can tell you, as as the pastor of this church, we've done some things wrong, and we've repented. I can also tell you, we've done many things right, and we give God praise that He He's been with us in those moments. But the reality is we must call out sin when we see it. We must be bold enough to share the truth of the gospel. The charge against the, the Catholic Church in those days is they weren't preaching the gospel. They were preaching that good works saved you, that you could buy your way into heaven. Sounds a lot like Thyatira to me. But Christ is watching, always watching. I want you to think about that this week. When we, we go forward, Jesus is watching. Is what he's seeing pleasing to him? Does it bring glory and honor to his name? Is what other people see in you? Does it make them, them at least see that you have changed? There will be many moments where people will see how you've changed. They will see the, the fruit of the Spirit. And they'll say, I want nothing to do with that. Because they don't, want, they don't want to deal with God. They don't want to have to give up their life, their way. Because as we've said, sin is pleasurable for a season. But that season will come to an end. Christ will come and deal with everyone and give them to what they deserve. Those who've called on Christ will get great rewards. You know, and one of them that is mentioned here is to rule over the nations. I've never once desired to rule over the nations. I, I would not be upset if that is not given to me. I know we, we've had men in this country and men all over the world who desire that. But Christ will give it to those who are deserving. Those who overcome. Those who do not compromise. This is a warning to churches forever. In Pergamum, we, we saw the, the judgment proclaimed by the word of God. The sword that proceeds out of his mouth. Here we see that Christ is examining, looking for repentance. What happens when he does not see repentance? You know what happens to the church next week? Christ declares them dead. And if Christ has declared you dead, you are, you are worse than dead. There's no amount. We can't take the defibrillator off the wall and bring you back. If Christ has declared you dead, you're dead indeed. Not just in the flesh, but in soul. What, what does that mean? Christ gives us a very, very clear picture that, that we will either be born twice and die once. He says, do not be worried about the one who could kill, kill the flesh, kill your body. There are many people that will be able to kill you. I know we were joking and jest last week with the swords, but Brother Darren could have taken that sword and killed me last week. But I don't fear your brother, but Darren. I fear God. Mm -hmm. Because he is the only one that can give me the second death. But the reality is, we are all born once. But for those who refuse to be born again, refuse to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, what is going to happen? 
they will die twice, a physical death and a spiritual death. We often sing here that, 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 that song called Soul on Fire. I find that song to be greatly ironic. You're going to be a soul on fire one way or the other. Amen. You're going to be on fire for God, or you're going to be on fire by God. Amen. The second one we call hell. I know that's a, that's a phrase in churches they don't like to hear, because it, it, people don't like to hear it. They don't like to hear they're sinners. They don't like to hear there's a consequence for living a life. But the reality is there is a very severe consequence. Jesus warned them that, that this Jezebel, he will make her lie down in on a sick bed. That is to say, she will be contagious with her sin. And that all those who follow her and partake in it, they will receive the just judgment of, of their deeds. We cannot pretend to, to live a righteous life and be involved in sexual immorality, be involved in idol worship, be involved in partaking of anything that would produce idols. It's very easy to fall into a trap of idols. I encourage you, if you've done that, to repent. If there's sexual immorality in your life, to repent. If there's anything in your life that is not pleasing to God, repent. Because He is just. He says, I will come to you and forgive you of your sins. And I will rise you up to do wonderful things. This church in Thyatira has a choice. It could go one way or the other. This church is having a large part of this church will die off in Thyatira because they have followed the ways of Jezebel. But there are many more who are overcoming. There are many here who will overcome. And there are many here who this message is directly to you to repent while you have time. Let us pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the many blessings you give us. I thank you for the, the time you give us to repent, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here who needs to repent, that, that your spirit move in their heart now and, and allow them to do so, Lord God. Pray that if there's anyone here who has not received you, Lord, you would, you would have them come down and worship your holy name and bend the knee and declare that you and you alone are God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And I ask, uh, we had a different song picked out, but I'd like to ask Brother Mike to come on up and lead us one more time in Amazing Grace.